thank you, church. You can be seated. Turn with me to Ruth chapter 3. We are utilizing the book of Ruth to move through the Advent season. This morning, of course, is the Advent of joy. While you're turning there, um, I want to mention a couple things. Our uh, Christmas offering will be received next Sunday. It'll take place during the service itself. As you know, typically you give in the box. We want you to put your regular giving in the box, but we'll actually take up a plate offering for the Christmas offering. Um, and that will take place during the worship service, of course, next Sunday, the 18th. Um, also, we're going to be, it's our hope to anyway, and plan to uh, baptize in the month of January and receive new members. There is a sign-up in the foyer for that, and we need you to do that so we can contact you. We haven't set the dates, but probably it'll be the last Sunday in January that we actually receive the new members. So, if you have felt uh, led by God to, to join with us here at Christ Community Church, we are thrilled for that. Um, this is the process of how we do it. We have never guilt-motivated anybody to join our church. We want people certainly to join anybody that walks through the building, but we want them to feel led by the Holy Spirit to do so. And of course, we always want to point to people of Jesus. And so if you do not know Jesus and you need Jesus, receive him by faith even now before I say another word and um, follow him in believer's baptism, which is the first step of obedience. Okay, here we go. Ruth chapter 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash therefore and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. And at midnight the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, so you are a redeemer, or for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. 
You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen, I know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it out. And he measured about six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city And when she came to see her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, and he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. And she replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter tomorrow. Let's let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you again for the Lord's Day that you have created by and for your church since Jesus resurrected from the dead. Your church is gathered across the globe this day and does so now across the globe to worship and celebrate the life, death, and resurrection on our behalf for the church. We rejoice, Lord, and may your people this morning be built this Sunday in joy as we do celebrate your first advent and as our elder Bobby Owens mentioned, as we look forward to the second advent when you will return. Lord, for those that sit in this room now and perhaps do not know You, I pray that the Holy Spirit would convict them of their sin, convince them of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of their sin. And may they receive Jesus by faith. We pray and ask these things in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Got to wet my whistle. In September of 1977, I began my senior year in high school. Tommy McIntosh was my hall locker partner for three years at Hazel Park. And uh, first week of school, our senior year, we were together at our lockers, and uh, down the hall came three or four girls, and at the forefront of that was this beautiful brown-eyed girl. Um, (laughs) Yes. She says, hey, Tom. 
and they gladly walked down the hallway. And I, I looked at Tom and I said, dude, who is that? And he punches me in the shoulder and says, that's my sister. <laughs> and uh, so it began. Six months later, we would share a Frosty and a Fry at Wendy's. That's right, big spender that I am. Made 10 bucks after refereeing an intramural high school game. And the rest, as they say, is history. Um, to the Western mind, when you read through the book of Ruth, and especially when you get to chapter 3, you know, things can sound somewhat confusing. And it can throw you off. Winnowing and a threshing floor. Um, you know, what is that all about exactly? Well, at that place, what basically took place was this. On a hill, there was a hard, flat surface that was always situated downwind of town. The grain would be tossed into the air to separate the chaff from the grain. And what Boaz was doing there is he was taking up the grain then and he bagged it. And of course, from then, uh, we know from chapter 3, he relaxes, um, he eats, he has a couple of drinks, um, and uh, he begins to kind of chill out and, you know, from the day's work. And that's, that's the gist of what's going on, so we understand that at the forefront. Um, but we know this, Ruth, the book of Ruth is a, is a story, it's a love story, and as we get into this text today, I think it's pretty clear that both of them were filled with joy, both Ruth and Boaz, but I also think, you know, there's something to this idea of the threshing floor that um, it, it's hard for us to comprehend, um, you know, it almost feels like that was the spot to, to perhaps, uh, you know, meet someone. Uh, in the 60s, my, I have a brother that's seven, nine years older than me. They used to call it, uh, you know, they would go necking. <laughs> Some of you that are old remember that. Um, you know, in the 70s, 80s, they called it making out, whatever. Um, Today, they kind of say, we're talking. You know, whatever that's supposed to mean. Okay, you're talking. That's great. I'm talking too. Um, but the reason why I mention that, look back to chapter 2, verse 9. Boaz there is giving Ruth instruction. He says, let your eyes be on the field. We just covered this last week. Pastor Alex did. That are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? Okay. Of course, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the Bible talks about touching in a physical, sexual type relationship. If you look at Hosea, we won't turn there for now, in chapter 9, uh, the threshing floor is used in a symbolic way, right? So remember this. That the Word of God is truthful, but sometimes it will, it will speak in symbolism, right, to point out that truth. And it talks about Israel 
going a whoring away from Yahweh at the threshing floor. Okay, so there's something to the threshing floor that undoubtedly I don't think any of us could comprehend. Let it be safe to say what's unfolding is this love story that's going on between Boaz and Ruth. All you Hallmark watchers. You know, you got to love watching Hallmark because the story always ends well, right? They end up in love. You know, yeah, you get frustrated with a dude. Come on, man, just, just tell her already. But of course, that waits to the end. But this is kind of where we find ourselves in chapter 3. And I want to give you this um, kind of up front. There are three movements that I think you see here. Um, number one is the plan of Naomi that she gives. Number two is... Um, the poise of Ruth. And then the third thing is the proposal of Boaz. Naomi's plan, Ruth's poise, Boaz's proposal. Now, the plan unfolds as we get into chapter 3, having read this, and it's pretty clear Naomi is playing wingman. She's kind of figured this out. Okay, you know, we've come back. And we know the story, right, leading up. These dire circumstances that Naomi and Ruth were in um, have, have taken place right back in their history. And as they made their way back to um, Bethlehem, right, from Moab, hope's been resurrected. Their, their dire circumstances now have been um, calmed down. They've ate bread. They've had wine. They're being sustained. So their hope has been resurrected and peace has come. And while in this place of taking rest, Naomi devises this plan. Look back. To verse 1, when she tells Ruth, she says, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you? To be clear about this, what Naomi's telling Ruth is, I'm going to find you a man. I'm older. For you to have an enduring life, you, you need a man, and because I will not be here a lot longer. Naomi's going matchmaker. Um, I have not found that to bode well whenever I attempted that in my life. My mom tried to match me, to which I rebelled against. Thank God, and ended up with that beautiful girl. Um, but this is kind of where we are. Naomi sees now, God has, has given us um, some hope. We're back to the place of God where we need to be, where we're undering and functioning um, with God's people under Yahweh. And um, I'm, I'm going to figure this out. And so she gives, you know, again, some instruction for us that, <laughs> you know, that comes off kind of strange. Naomi is seeking to 
put Ruth together with Boaz. She knows the conversation that they've had in chapter 2. And so she, she devises this strategy, as we'll see in just a few moments. But here's what I want you to take note about there in verse 5. Ruth replies like this. All that you say, I'm going to do. I'm going to follow it. I'm going to do it to the T. I'm going to obey you. And uh, obviously, you, you folks know, um, our elder Zach even mentioned it in the historical reading, we do not believe in chance. Uh, that's the world's philosophy. You know, uh, Doris Day, what will be, will be. Things are accident. Um, we believe that God is not only sovereign to save, but he's sovereign in every avenue of your life from day to day. Working out things in his divine providence. There's no mistakes at all. It behooves us, though, as Christians to kind of view our life under that sovereignty because Divine sovereignty does not nullify human responsibility. That's the world's view, and the result of it is fatalism. Rather, as those who believe in God, and that Christ is sovereignly over my life, we go about life kicking doors down as hard as we can. But we know that things aren't being accomplished because of the power of who we are, but the glory of who God is and that Christ himself is in control of my life. There are no accidents. There's no Johnny come lately. You're not missing from the all-seeing eye of God in this vast earth. None of us. And so that's what's going on here. Um, and I think that truth really while it does weird things, even to some in the Christian community, that should free you. Because we're going through what transacted in reality for these two. Naomi's like huddled up. Listen, I've got to get him a man. I've, I've got to figure this out. But both Naomi, Naomi, I should say, and Ruth are doing these things, right? They're acting out in human responsibility. They're human beings. But they are trusting all of this process to Yahweh. Just as you are living out your life, I trust, you don't see your life disconnected from Jesus to come, kind of compartmentalize and come do this church thing. And this is important. This is essential. This is, this is where everything right centers in life. But God is doing things. And God is at work in your life and there's a human responsibility as to what you're doing. And you must trust in Jesus sometimes when you don't even understand that He's going to open and He's going to close the doors. Do you guys believe that? Oh, that's weak. I'm not, I'm not asking you to yell. I'm, I'm not trying to sound weird. I'm just saying, please, before I move forward for that, believe that. And if you do, and you let the Scripture nurture you, man, things are going to transform for you in life, and you're not, uh, it's going to grow you up in a way that, um, that's pleasing to God. 
So Naomi to, to Ruth here is going on, and she basically says, as we look at verse 1 through 4, and I'm just going to kind of summarize it. You know, um, hey, Ruth, you're going to go down there to the winning, winning barley tonight at the threshing floor, right? That's, that's where Boaz is going to be. He's going to be bagging up the grain. And he basically tells her in verse 3, hey, wash up, paint the barn, put on the, some good clothes, head down to the threshing floor. When he's done bagging by night and he's chilling out and he's eating food and he's drinking wine and he relaxes, he's going to go to sleep, steal the covers and get, in, get underneath them. It's weird, right? It's weird. It's, you know, my dad told me to ever do that with him. I'm like, what? No. It's, come on. But that's what's going on. Ultimately, um, Ruth gets this. I got, I'm going to lay at his feet. I'm going to steal some covers. And then I'm going to wait for him to notice me. And here's some of the things. For those of you that are Reformation Bible, it made me think of this too. That's R.C. Sproul's. If you don't have that as a study Bible, you should get it. It's, a, it's excellent. I think he does a good job here with this. You think of these kind of circumstances, right? And, and what we go back to is like Lot's daughters in Genesis. And Lot's daughters get their dad drunk, like knocked out drunk, so much for it, you don't even identify what he's doing, to have sex with them, to impregnate them so they can have kids, right? That's wild. Of course, in today's society, who knows? That might become in the way things are going. But that's not what Ruth does and Boaz does. Yet she's following what seemingly is what was the normative to the action. So this plan, while it might feel weird to us, you know, and it certainly did to me as I kept reading it over and over again and try to understand some of these euphemisms that are used, some of these idioms that are used, because they're not English, they are, you know, a thousand to fifteen years before the time of Christ, that we want to be clear about this, they regularly understood what was going on, right? So, so Ruth is hearing the plan, and she's like, yeah, all right, I'm in. I'm going to do everything you say. And she promptly goes about uh, that. And as we begin to see this, we look at what I call the poise of Ruth. Verse 5, she submits. Verse 6, she obeys. Verse 9, she asks. Verse 14, she yields. Verse 18, she waits. But this is what I want to center on. Look at verse 9. Verse 9 says this, right? She's, she's pulled the covers, right? He's probably gotten cold or whatever. He says, man, whoa, who is this? You know, it's the middle of the night. He said, who are you? And she answered, look at this with me. I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Spread your wings over me, Boaz, is a Hebrew idiom that you can see in Ezekiel 16.8 that basically talks about 
I love you and I want, I want to marry you. Now that's not how proposals exactly go at this time period. But she knows exactly what's going on through the instruction of, of uh, Naomi. And, you know, hey, this girl is filled with joy and anticipation. And she's not going to, you know, play head games. She's like, hey, here's the cards. I want to marry you. That's what it means to spread your wings over me. She's not playing head games. Charles Spurgeon wrote this, Peace is joy resting, and joy is peace dancing. Man, I love that. Ruth has this incredible, immense joy that's going on here. She's resting in the Lord, and everything that has transpired in her life, go back to chapter 2. Let me just read this one real quick. Verse 12. The Lord, Yahweh, right? Lord, all caps, that basically is Christ. Repay you for what you have done. She had trusted, of course, in Yahweh. And she committed her life to Ruth, or I'm sorry, to Naomi, right? Your God is my God. Wherever you die, I'm going to die. Your people's my people. She left the way of the world to commit her heart and life completely to the covenant God and says this, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Ruth was in the covenant family. Ruth loved Jesus. She identifies Boaz as this dude's a catch. I mean, I know he's a little older than me, but, but my heart's for him. I've, I've watched this guy's life. And, and I want to I marry him. She lets it out. She rests in the Lord. And, you know, we all know what that is, you know, in the whole falling in love thing. Her heart dances for, for Boaz. You remember getting that stomach flip. It's awesome. It's real. It's something we can all identify with. This is what's going on for Ruth. Let's catch this, though, in this whole weird covers thing. Ruth is acting with grace and dignity. She's filled with joy. Now we, we, we transition to the last part of this, and it's the proposal that Boaz makes. I think it's significant, and I do want to read it, verse 10 through 13 again, so we can be refreshed as we look what Boaz proposes. Verse 10, And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. Right? He sees her, but this dude never gets disconnected to Jesus. I mean, I don't have any doubt that Ruth was a looker um, and, and that she was attractive to him by the context. 
I am, well, I went back to nine. Let's go to 10, Kev. You, listen to this. He says to her, you have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after the young men, whether they were rich or poor, you know, at the threshing floor. And now, my daughter, do not fear, for I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer that is nearer than I. So remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, then that's good. He sees that as the will of God. Because it's obeying the law of God. Let him do it. But if he will not redeem you as the Lord is alive, I will redeem you. Lie down here until the morning. Wow, that is so good. Verse 10. Boaz tells Ruth, you've made this last kindness greater than the first. Boaz knows Ruth's story. He knows what Ruth did in the coming along with Norma. And he says, man, that was a great kindness. But the fact that you want to marry me, that kindness is greater to me than what you did with Naomi. Boaz lets the cards down. No head games playing. You remember that, Val? <laughs> oh, that girl twisted my head up 80 million different ways. You know you did too, you stinker. <laughs> she had me captivated. I remember the first time I kissed her at the door. I walked her up. I kissed her, and and she went in the door and she says, "I said good night." And she says, "Is that all I get?" And I said, "What?" <laughs> Stumbling all over myself. Boaz is telling Ruth, "I'm." I love you too. And the fact that you've let me know what you feel like, man, he's just filled with, with joy. He recalls her actions. He sees who Ruth is and how she's lived her life. And, and he's filled with, wow, man, she's a catch. But catch this along with me. Look at verse 12. First, Boaz obeys the law of God, which is the law of nearest kin. Now it is true that I am a redeemer. He was. He is. But he wasn't to be the first asked according to the law of God. Yet there is a redeemer that is nearer in my. Remain tonight in the morning, and if he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he will not be willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie here till the morning. Wow, this is so good. This is so intense. This is so filled with, you know, love and what's going on between the two of them. And yet in all of that emotion, I want you to catch this, people. Listen to this. He never disregards the will of God. 
Boaz knows that Yahweh is sovereign over my life. But maybe this person is coming here as a temptation to me. And this isn't the will of God. I will not disobey Yahweh. But man, <laughs> woo, I sure would like to marry you. This is awesome. Turn to, turn to Galatians chapter 3. Having looked at the exposition of this, I want you to know this. Jesus is the true and better Boaz who by His active obedience to the law and His passive obedience for the suffering of sin in dying the death to win His bride. You see folks, somewhere along the way 2,000 years ago plus the father looked at the son and he said, Go. Go win your bride. And Jesus was fixed from his birth till his death. He never deterred to accomplish what was necessary to win the salvation of his bride. He knew the only hope for this people was He was going to have to redeem them. And in the council of the beautiful Trinity, the Father in looking after the Son said, Son, go win her. Look with me at Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come. Now don't mix that up. That's not just a phrase mixed in there. In God's sovereign plan, the Father sent the Son at the right time in history. That's what that phrase means. God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Because he would live and fulfill the law. Jesus never disobeyed the law in word, thought, and deed. Wow. You get self righteous about our Christian lives. Just think about that. Let's not look down our noses at one another. <laughs> God sent forth His Son, born of the woman, born of the law. To do what? To redeem those who were under the law. That's His bride. So that we might receive another beautiful aspect of salvation, the adoption as sons. Jesus comes. He lives a humble existence. Born in an awful place. As much as all the scenery that people like to give it, it was filthy. It was horrifying. Kids in normal circumstances would have died in that situation. And yet through his life, Jesus was fixed. He was never 
ever deterred. And He would go to the cross and live out His life as He went to the cross as the forces of hell, the forces of hell tried to deter Him. Not so for our Lord. He was going to win His bride. Because no one loves the church like Jesus. And He did it for us. And He did it out of love for His Father who was so gracious to give Him a people. So there's a dynamic there as we always think about ourselves and the work of salvation that really is beyond us. There is this Trinitarian love relationship that is going on between the the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I want to wrap this up by going to Isaiah chapter 53. You you have to go there because it's easy to miss this. You see, we're created in the image of God. And as the Trinity exists, part of that being created in the image of God is we have emotion, right? We have emotion. That's part of the reflection of who God is. God loves. God exhibits mercy. There are attributes of God which we can participate in, and then there are obvious attributes of God we have no part of. His omnipresence, His omniscience, His all-powerful. But you understand what I'm saying. The point being is our God loves. God is love, right? But our God loves. Granted, we don't want to be overrun by our emotion, but our God has emotion. And He's created us to have emotion. This is going to get good. Look with me at verse 11 of chapter 53. You know what Isaiah 53 is. It's the beautiful picture of Jesus' suffering. But He doesn't suffer for no reason. Look at verse 11. Out of the anguish of His soul... As Jesus suffered on the cross an intense, horrible death, certainly was horrifying physically, crucifixion, but much more the agony that Jesus faced was becoming sin for us. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see, see what? And be satisfied. In the Hebrew, the word satisfies there, he'll take delight in. That is, when Jesus sees us when he returns, and he's judged the living and the dead, and we're with him, Jesus will take joy in you. Our Savior will take joy in us on that last day. That will begin for you and I for eternity. You see, church, the book of Ruth and the love story of Boaz and Ruth points to a greater love story. 
And that love story is Christ's love for His church and the, the joy He has for her. And your greatest joy, and, and my greatest joy, should be found in the promise of redemption. And if your life is centering, and you find, it's, it's okay to find joy in many things, but if you don't find your greatest joy in that, you're misunderstanding Jesus. You're misunderstanding the book of Ruth. And man, is this going to have some great things up in chapter 4. Because Christ's joy will be realized on that day. And he raises the dead and all of those that he saved all the way back to Abel to the last one. And we're going to be there. Now, you're a guy and you're sitting there and you're maybe kind of, you know, the whole bride thing, I don't get, I, I get that. But, but understand this, God, God uses this kind of terminology because the greatest picture in love on the earth in a human circumstance is a man's love for his wife and the life's love for her man, husband, wife. That's why we want to mirror that in our marriages. Because it pictures to me that God loves me and that Jesus would not get deterred and He would fulfill everything in the law and He would suffer a death that was really due me and He would raise to life. Listen, some of you are sitting there and you don't know Jesus, man. You need Jesus. Don't resist that woo. What is that, that inward tussle? It's the Holy Spirit. And look, you can't go solo on this. This isn't a privatized thing. You could be an introverted person, but it says, with the mouth, confession is made to salvation that translates itself in the waters of baptism when it says this, I identify as a follower of Jesus and all of these people that have been redeemed by Christ. I trust that will be you today. Let's pray. Father, now we look forward to this beautiful table that you gave to us. It's a table we're not worthy of, but it is a table that you have given to us because you were fixed from your birth to your ascension. You accomplished everything necessary in the work of salvation to redeem us. That has already happened. And then yet, not yet in the future, your joy will be realized, Christ, in your return. That's overwhelming. That's overwhelming. Thank you, Jesus, for your love. May our lives fill you with joy. We ask in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Church, you may rise.